Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 3 this morning. This message is the last message in the series, Woke or Awake. And this message is directed to the church, to you and to me. So I want you to listen to every word I'm about to say this morning. And I pray that Holy Spirit takes His word and the words that He's given to me and brings conviction into our heart and into our lives. That we will realize one thing when we leave this room. And that one thing is, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And when we realize that, it changes our attitude. It changes the way we interact with other believers. It changes our experience in a worship service. Because we're not saying, well, I didn't like that song, or the sound was too loud or too soft, or I didn't like what they're wearing on the platform, or I didn't like what that preacher had to say. We realize it's not about me. It's about Jesus. I pastored for eight and a half years in Topeka, Kansas, and there was a lady who was my nemesis. She never had a good thing to say. She was always griping and complaining. Don't let that be you. Always griping and complaining. Eight and a half years, I never heard a positive word from her. It was always, it's too cold, it's too hot, the sound's too loud, you're singing too long, you preach too long, uh, the lights weren't right, on and on and on and on. It was difficult to pray for that gal. Very difficult. And I just prayed that God would change her heart, but to the best of my knowledge, he never did. She never allowed it to happen. So this morning, my prayer is, God, change our hearts. Let us be tender in your hand today. Bring changes to each one of us. John 3, 28 through 30, we're talking about John the Baptist. This is his statement concerning Jesus. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is of mine is fulfilled. And look at verse 30. He must increase and I must decrease. Wow, if there is a passage of Scripture, one verse, and that's all you could ever memorize, memorize that one. He must increase, I must decrease. He has to become more, I have to become less. And when we look at wokeism, we realize that's the direct opposite of that ideology. See, wokeism really isn't an opinion. It's not a political position. Wokeism is paganism. It's a false religion. Paganism at its core, saying that you are your own God. You are your own God. Wokeism is all about you. It's about your gender, your sexuality, your race, your vindication. It's about you. It is not about God. Theology is the study of God. It's the study of who He is. What he has declared, his vastness, his greatness, his overarching plan for the universe. It's about God. So we could really say that theology is he-ology. 
because it's all about him. It's all about God. And when we read the Bible, we recognize the Bible is a book about him. You and I aren't in the book. He's in the book. It's all about Jesus and his plan and God's plan for our lives. I hate to tell you this, but we are not David defeating Goliath. We are not Moses parting the Red Sea. We're not Peter walking on the water. It's not about us. It's about him. Theology is heology, and it's all about Jesus. But wokeology is meology. You see, theology is heology. Wokeology is meology. Will you say that with me one more time? One time. Wokeology is meology. I couldn't hear you. Do it one more time. Wokeology. There you go. Get that in your spirit. Wokeology is the study of me. It's like that great wokeologian, meologian said, Toby Keith, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk my, me, my. I want to talk about what I want, what I see, what I need, what I feel. Occasionally, I want to talk about you, but now I want to talk about me. It's all about me. Meology is the study of me. It's about my success, my joy, my overcoming, my testimony, my vindication. It's about breaking my addiction, overcoming my past. And may I tell you, meology has infiltrated the church. It sets on every pew. We carry it in with us every time we walk through the doors because we're convinced in American society, it really is all about me. Jesus rides in the back seat and he comes up front when I need him, but the rest of the time, it's all about me. It's all about me. My success, my joy. It's become what we talk about, me, my, what I want, what I see. It's all about me. I'm going to share some quotes with you that are deeply disturbing. Quotes that came not from politicians, but from preachers. And with each quote, I want you to answer the question, is this meology or is this heology? The first one, and if I put names to these, if I credited these, you would know exactly who these people are. The first one, God is getting ready to disappoint everybody who expected you to fail. What is that, meology or theology? It's meology to its core. My vindication, my overcoming. God is going to disappoint everyone who expected me to fail. Listen, if I had every, a dime for every time I heard someone say that in the church, I'd have a lot of dimes. I'd have a lot of dimes. Because it's infiltrated the church. It's meology. Number two, if you're weak, don't say you're weak. Say I'm strong. Is that meology or heology? Ooh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you used to sing or have sang, give thanks with a grateful heart. And Don Moen took a scripture, a part of a scripture from Joel chapter 3 verse 10, where it says, beat your plowshares into swords and beat your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I am strong. A better translation of that is let the weak say, I'm a warrior. But nowhere in the scripture will you find, let the poor say, I am rich. 
It just rhymed with the song, but we think it's scripture. See, in reality, that's meology because it's all about me. Joel chapter 3 in context is all about the judgment of God against the nations of the world who are coming against Israel. And when we take scriptures out of context and we just push them to fit our own ideology, it becomes meology. Love the way you're shouting now. I know you folks online are with me. You're shouting. You're getting this. This is where the rubber meets the road, folks. Is it about you or is it about him? That's the bottom line. We want to say, but when I'm hurting, I can't say I'm hurting. When I'm struggling, I can't say I'm struggling. We have to say I'm strong, I'm an overcomer, I'm this, I'm that. And there is a kernel of truth to that. There is the power of life and death in the tongue. But faith never denies facts. Faith acknowledges facts and then says, but my God is greater. This is what I feel. This is what I see. But my God is greater. It's not about me. It's about him. Well, I just didn't want to do that. Who cares whether you wanted to or not? God puts you in that position to function in that role and be what he's asked you to be. And it's not about your likes or your wants. It's about what does God ask of you? So many times in wokeism and every other pagan ideology, there is a kernel of truth and that's what draws us in. But we need to be able to be to refine that stuff and recognize its source and recognize, is it of God or is it of me? Does God want you to overcome? Absolutely. Does God want to bless you? Absolutely. Does God want to make you strong? Absolutely. You know the most, the most often improperly interpreted, interpreted scripture in the New Testament? I guess it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've heard that quoted time and time again, and it's true. But do you know the context? The context is when I have nothing or when I have a lot, I am content in him. And in that place of contentment, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about jumping tall buildings. It's not about flying through the air. It's not about you being a spiritual superman. It's about him. Meology takes God out of the equation. This one's very disturbing. The more godlike you become, the more like God you can get things done. Meology? Absolutely. Absolutely. Number four, the process is painful, but the promotion is awesome. Meology or heology? Meology. All the way through, there's a kernel of truth to it. God never wastes a heartache. He can take you to a new level in your life through pain, through heartache, through tragedy. But so often it's not what we envision as a new level. It's meology. The last one. When you call your heavenly father, the answer is always yes. Oh, I like that, but it's meology. I wish that were true. We know it's not true. We know that every time we pray, the answer isn't always yes. Why? Because God knows the end from the beginning. God knows what's best for us every moment of time. God's only going to give us 
what promotes his will for our lives. And sometimes we're praying amiss, praying from the flesh, rather than allowing God to direct our prayers. I mean, think about it. I want to become more like God so I can get more done. Well, that's pretty much meology. Pretty much meology. You and I will never become God. We are, through Jesus Christ, children of the Most High God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We will one day rule and reign with Him, but never, 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 ever will we be God. It's a shame that people believe that stuff. See, there's a twofold problem here with meology. First, it's always one sided. Meology works in the wealthy West. But it doesn't work in the Muslim world. It doesn't work where people are losing everything they've worked for, where their lives are endangered. Some are even martyred because they choose to believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't work there. It doesn't work for the person in this room or online who's watching, who's been diagnosed with cancer. You've been prayed for, but you still have cancer. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for the couple who so desperately want a baby and you prayed and prayed, but you still don't have a baby. Meology doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for the person who lost their spouse 10 years ago or their father or mother 10 years ago, and it still feels like it was just yesterday. It doesn't work for you. Secondly, it's deeply disappointing. That's why people get angry with God, because they're disappointed with Him, because they have believed a lie. Because they have believed the lie of Western theology that says, it's all about me. God is only interested in my good, my well-being, my happiness. No, God's interested in your holiness and your obedience. It's always deeply disappointing. As Americans, we have been fed a steady diet of meology for the last 15 or 20 years. And we believe that the reason Jesus came and died on a cross was so I could be happy. I could be successful. I could be prosperous. I could have a good name and a good reputation in the community. That's why he came and died. That's not why he died. He died because he loves you. And he loves me in that while we were yet sinners, God showed us his love through Christ's death on Calvary. He died to make us right with God. He died to make us children of the most high God. And as a result, oh yeah, there is joy. There is peace. There is contentment, and from that flows happiness when we are in line with Him and His will. But it's not about me. We've got to understand He's the point. We are not. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Wow. It's a tough scripture. We had translate that. If anyone wants to come after me, let him come to church on Sunday morning, pay his tithe, give some offerings to support Israel, and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not what he said. He said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Because it's not about you. And it's not about me, it's about him. John was an interesting character. 
He was the predecessor of Jesus Christ. He came to prepare the way of the Lord for Jesus Christ. And John was a he-ologian. He understood who was in charge and what was important. Thousands followed John. Thousands were baptized in the Jordan River by John. One day, John chapter 3, he's down by the Jordan, he's baptizing again, and Jesus and his disciples show up, and they're a little ways down the riverbank. And all of a sudden, the thousands start leaving John and migrating to Jesus, and John's followers got a little upset. You know what they said? They said, John, the back door is wide open. We got to shut the back door because they're all leaving to go to Jesus. You know what John said? He said, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it ought to be. Because he is God and I am not. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the hope of the world and I am not. John chapter 3 verses 28 through 30. Let me read it again. You yourself bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Look at verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm the best man, and the best man is not the bridegroom. Rather, he stands on the side, he cheers the bridegroom on, he celebrates with him, he appreciates all that's happening, but he's not the bridegroom. He said, I'm the best man. I have an important role, but I don't have the role. Well, I need to say that again because somebody needs to hear it. We need to adopt the attitude just like John. I have an important role in the kingdom of God, but I don't have the role. Jesus occupies that place and that position, and I am here subservient to him to do what he asked me to do without complaint and without question. He goes on to say in that verse, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Wow. Did you really understand that? He said, I'm happy. I'm rejoicing with the bridegroom. And because I'm happy for him, then my joy is fulfilled. Wow. Wow. Blows meology right out of the water, doesn't it? Blows griping and complaining right out of the water, doesn't it? Tells us there's no place for that. We are to be, I know we don't like this word, but I'll use it anyway, servants of the Most High God. In other words, he says go and we go. He says jump and we say how high. We're here to obey him. Why? Because he has ransomed us. He has redeemed us. He has rescued us. He changed our destiny from hell to heaven. Oh, somebody, get over the meology. Come to Jesus today. Interesting how powerful this is, but I haven't read the most powerful part. Verse 30. John said to his disciples, he must increase but I must decrease. He has to be more and more. I have to be less and less. He has to be greater and greater. I have to be minimized and minimized. Because disciples, it's not about me, John the Baptist. It's about him, Jesus the Christ. What he's saying is saying, chill out, guys. 
What's happening is what ought to be. He's God. People should be drawn to Him. I want to give you three things very quickly, then we're going to receive communion. Three principles that John understood that if you and I defeat meology in our life and in our churches, we have to understand as well. Number one, Jesus is the point. I'm a peace. Jesus is the point. I'm a peace. I didn't say I'm the peace. I said I'm a peace. A peace. God is sovereign. And that means he's absolutely in control of all things at all times. He's never out of control. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He never gets stressed. He never gets acid-filled stomachs over worry. He's in absolute control of all things at all times. No exceptions. And God has a plan. And his plan is that he may be lifted up, that all men will be drawn to him. His plan is that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. His plan is that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Oh, do you hear me? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about him following God's plan. You see, the Bible's all about Jesus. You may have a biblical name, but it's not talking about you. I have a biblical name, but it's not talking about me. Matter of fact, my parents misspelled my name from the Bible, so there you go. It's not about me. Don't try to insert yourself in Scripture and make yourself the point or the piece when that's not God's plan. But listen to this, when we understand we're a piece, a piece, we're not the point, we're not the piece, we're a piece, it's in that place, and you need to write this down, when I know I am a piece, that I live in peace. When I know and understand that I'm a piece, then I live in peace. What this says to me? It says I don't have to measure up to the world's standard. That my success isn't judged by the world or by you. It's judged by God. It's judged by the Lord God Most High. You know, I pray every day that this church be filled, but then I realize that this city, this is not arrogance. It's a simple understanding. That by and large, the city of Tallahassee has no desire for a move of God. And no desire to hear the truth of God's word. Itching ears, placate me. Tell me something that will make me happy, that will encourage me. I'm telling you something that will encourage you every day. It's not about you, it's about him. So the pressure is off your life. And all you have to do is follow him. It's not your success, it's his success. It's not your victory, it's his victory. It's not that you overcome, it's that he has overcome. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not about you, it's about him. It's time for all the spoiled little mama's babies in the church to grow up. Love the way you're shouting now. I'm talking to some of you. You've been coddled way too long. Paul said you should be teachers by now, but you're still drinking the milk of the word. What's the problem? 
Problem is, we're happy with church on Sunday. As long as the preacher gets us out at a decent time. And if he doesn't, then it doesn't matter what God is doing because we're not going to be happy. The Bible's all about Jesus. He's the point. I'm a peace. We have to understand that. And then we can understand that when I'm healed, God is good. And when I'm sick, God is good. When I'm successful, God is good. And when I lose everything, God is good. When I'm rising above, God is good. And when I'm failing in defeat, God is good. We begin to understand it doesn't matter what I see or what I'm working through. God is always good. He never changes. He's good. My God, let us see that. Let us see that today. When God's good, you can move past a heartache. When you understand God is good, even when you're diagnosed with a disease that's incurable, you can walk through it declaring whether I'm healed or whether I'm in heaven, God is still good. God is good all the time. See, it's not my job to solve the riddles and the problems of life my job to be obedient to Christ. It's my job to kill the meology that rises in us and let him be the center, the focus of who I am. If we could only do that in the church, every position would be filled. People would be serving constantly and continually. The love of God would permeate our hearts to the point that we are motivated by his love to love others and one another. John keeps explaining to these guys, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, the same verses, verse 34. For he is sent by God, he speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit, and the Father loves his Son and has put everything in his hand. What's he saying? He's saying, he's the point. I'm a peace. Number two, Jesus is the owner, I'm the operator. It's all his. Oh, look at me. I said, it's all his. You may have been extremely successful. You may be a multimillionaire, but I've come to tell you this morning, it's not by your act. It's by his grace. It's all his. You know what it means? It means you've been a good steward of what he's given you. He's entrusted it to you. You stewarded it well. But it's not because of you. It's because of him. We don't have what we have because of us. We have what we have because of him. It's not our vision. It's not how hard we work. It's not about the risk we have taken. It's not about how far we have moved. It's because of God. Because of him. He gave you the ability to work. He gave you the mind that allows you to do it. He gave you the talent to steward those. He gave you the opportunities. And when he gave it to us, you didn't waste it. But it's still all his. Now here's where a peace comes in. See, too often, meology teaches all that I have is mine. I got it. 
I'm going to get it. I'm going to get all I can and can't all I get. It's all mine. I'm not sharing it with anybody. But theology, theology teaches me he's the owner. I'm the operator. And I can't hang on to anything too tight because if I do, it's in that place that Satan will get a foothold in my life. But rather, it has to flow loosely through my hand. And if God allows me to steward it, that's great. If he allows it to pass through, that's even greater because it's all about him and it's not about me. We have got to learn Job 121. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Tom, would you come back, please? Jesus' influence is growing as we read the story of John. Crowds are beginning to follow him. John's crowds are diminishing. And now we find John in prison because he chose to stand up to a woke king, an immoral king. And as a result, he was in prison for what he spoke against him. And when he's in prison, he calls his disciples over and he said, Would you go to Jesus? And would you ask him, is he the one or do we look for another? See, in that difficult place, he began to doubt what he knew. How often is that the case with us? Well, if God were only good, I wouldn't be experiencing this. I wouldn't be in pain. I wouldn't be in heartache. If God were only good, that's not true. God's good all the time. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're enduring, no matter what you're living with, the good news is He will take you through. Every time. Every time. Every time. Is He really the deliverer? John's thinking, is He going to get me out of here? Is He going to break the prison doors off? Is he going to set me free? You can read Jesus' response to these disciples in Matthew 11, verses 4 through 6. Jesus answered them and said, Go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, John, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. Yes, I am the one. I am the Messiah. Look at verse 6, because this is where meology dies to theology. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The New Living Translation says it this way. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Hear me, church. You will go through hard times. God never promised you a picnic in a rose garden. He promised you success in the kingdom of heaven when you follow him. Matter of fact, Jesus even said, don't be surprised when the world turns against you. Because I have overcome the world. I read that and I think, wow. Jesus saying to John, you're going to die in that prison, dude. I'm not getting you out. That will never make a t-shirt. That will never make a coffee cup. Nope, you're stuck where you're at because that's right where I want you to be. Never make it to a t-shirt or a coffee cup. But he said, don't be offended. Don't walk away because of me. 
Don't be offended when God hasn't yet healed you. Don't be offended if you lose your business. Don't be offended if you don't get married. Don't be offended with me because I've got a plan that you don't know about. That's what he's saying to John. I'm the point, you're a piece. I'm the owner, you're the operator. And number three, Jesus is worthy and I am willing. He said, well, preacher, I came here today to get encouraged. You haven't done much of that. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to tear down the walls and the ideology and meology in your life and fill you with the truth of God's Word. And when God's Word is alive in you, it's active, it's powerful, it's mighty. And it encourages you. It encourages you. See, if God's good in heartache, then I'm going to see His activity in my heartache. If God is good in healing or in sickness, then I'm going to see His activity in that place. When I realize I'm, He's the owner, I'm the operator. I don't want to hang on to anything that belongs to Him. You need to write this down and remember, if He can just get through to you, He will then get more to you. If He can just get through to you, He will get more to you. Several years ago, I was doing a pastor's crusade, or a pastor's conference and a crusade in northern Thailand, out in the bush. Everything was primitive. And during that time, the pastor that invited us and hosted us began telling me about a small work down in the very southern part of Thailand, a 100% Muslim area, and about a girl named Grace that went down there and started a church. Then he told me Grace's story, he said, Grace, was what she changed her name to after she came to Jesus Christ. She was born at a jihadist home in Indonesia. Her family was radicalized. One day Grace got a job working for an American family in Indonesia. She was their nanny. Her parents told her, you've got to convert them to Islam because they were Christian. And the more she tried, the kinder they were to her. They paid her well. They were generous to her. They were kind to her. And then her parents said to her, because they're Christian, they'll be mean and they'll be vulgar. But all she experienced was the grace and the kindness of God through them. And then one day, several months into her employment, they gave her a Bible. She was highly offended. And she said, I'm going to read this Bible and I will prove to you it's nothing but lies. And as so often happens, when she began to read the book, when she began to read the stories of Jesus Christ and what the Word says about Him, Holy Spirit settled over her heart and convicted her. And there in her own room, in her jihadist home, she fell on her knees and she repented of her sins and asked Jesus to come into her life. And when she told her parents that she had converted to Christianity, she was immediately arrested, 
taken before a religious tribunal. The charge was blasphemy. When the tribunal came back, they said, your punishment, you'll be stripped naked, you'll be dragged through the streets by your hair, you'll be beaten and cast out of the village. And when Grace's father heard that sentence, he stood up and he said, no, that's not harsh enough. She blasphemed Allah. So the tribunal met again. And they came back and said, we sentenced you to death in 48 hours. Sundown, 48 hours. She was locked in a room. Her mother was devastated. She kept trying and trying to convince her, reading the Quran to her, asking her to deny her faith in Jesus, convert back to Islam. And you know what Grace said? She said, if I get to die for Jesus, he's worthy of it. And it's the greatest privilege of my life. That doesn't fit on a t-shirt either, does it? Never see that on a coffee cup. Through a miraculous act of God, very similar to Peter being delivered from prison. She was delivered from her parents' home. She was taken in by an underground Bible school in Indonesia. She graduated and then God said, I want you to go to southern Thailand to a 100% Muslim region and I want you to be a missionary for me. So she went. And when she went to that little city in southern Thailand, she started talking about Jesus and there were six or seven other people who were Christians already and they came to her. They started a small house church. So when I heard the story, I said to my host pastor, man, I'd love to go see her and encourage her. He said, well, it's just a plane flight away. Let's go. We flew down there. Never forget when we pulled up to the church. Nothing more than a dilapidated shack, a house. We walked in the door and I met Grace. She was about, yeah, probably about this tall, 80 pounds soaking wet. And I said to her, I've heard your story. And you know what she said through the translator? Oh yes, God is so good. I knew her life was in danger. There was a death warrant out for her. She'd never see her parents again outside of a miracle. And you know what she said? Oh yes, God is so good. I looked around that room and the furniture was broken, dilapidated. There weren't four chairs on any, or four legs on any chair. She was so full of joy, inexpressible, incomprehensible joy. They fed us an incredible meal. We listened to the stories of all seven of these people whose lives were literally in danger every moment of every day. And they were so happy, so happy. I had two other pastors with me. He asked the other guys, what do you do? And one said, I'm a senior pastor. The other said, I'm a worship leader. When they heard that, their ears pricked up, their eyes pricked up. They said, can you play a guitar? He said, yeah. So they reached behind a broken piece of furniture and pulled out an old guitar that looked like it came over on Noah's Ark. Had two or three strings on it. And my friend said, what do I do? I said, you do what they're asking you to do. 
So he did his best to tune the guitar. When he got a tune, then they said to him, do you know the song, How Great Thou Art? He said, yeah, I do. He began strumming that old guitar. And I looked around the room. When he began to sing in English and they began to sing in their native tongue, Oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all the world thy hands have made. Their hands were uplifted, tears were running down their cheeks. And I'm sitting behind the worship leader on a chair with no legs, almost on the floor. And when I experienced what was happening in that room, where it wasn't about me, it was about him. God wrecked me, tore me apart. It's like he body slammed me, but I didn't get out of the chair. I'm in a house with these people that don't have anything, but they're so full of joy. Wrecked me. We got on the plane, went back to Bangkok where we were staying before we left and flew home. Had a very nice room for us. I walked in my room. There was a white chair over in the corner and I just flopped down in it, fell down in it. Over and over again, I had to say, God, I'm sorry. I've made it about me and it's not about me. It's about you. It's about you. It's about you. And God, I want what those people have. I want a joy that's unsurpassed. I want a peace that's beyond reason. I want what they have. This morning, if you're determined to make it about Him and not about you. Stand to your feet with me right where you're at. Tom, sing it out. Sing it with Tom. How great thou art. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.